Well, with awe and reverence, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Reading verse 18 down through verse 27. Let all mortal flesh keep silence as we hear the very, the very word of God. And the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man, man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother, There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty God, we are humbled by the fact that you have revealed yourself specially in your word. We know you have revealed your majesty and power through all of creation, but in your word, you have revealed to us your very own mind. You have shown us things that you want us to know. And we come to hear from your word that your spirit would give us illumination to understand your truth, We thank you that as we have sung your praise, as we have read your word, as we have partaken even of this meal where we celebrate Jesus' life and death and resurrection from the dead and his soon return, that as we partake of this family meal, you have reminded us that you are there and you are not silent. You are a God who acts And we do pray, Lord, that in this dark world of ours, this world accursed with sin, marred by the fall of mankind, that nevertheless you shine forth in all of your goodness. The good news of the gospel prevails. And we thank you, even as we've celebrated having new members come into the church this morning. We thank you, Lord, and praise you that you are adding 
to the number of people who call upon your name in this city. Oh Lord, we pray that they would increase. Lord, there are so many people as we enter this Advent Christmas season, so many people who are lost in the dark, who are forsaking you. And Lord, we pray that you would break through in their lives. Help us to bear testimony to our co-workers, to our friends, to our families, that we would bear testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that many would be saved in this season. Lord, we thank you that gospel-preaching churches, even this morning on the Lord's Day, are heralding your word. We thank you for Redemption Church, Pastor Trevor Peacock and the ministry that they have. We thank you for how that church has grown. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to cause it to flourish, flourishing as they herald your word, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we think of all of our cares, all of the sorrows, all of the fears, all of the weaknesses that all of us have shared and borne up under as we think of many people that are struggling, who are sick, who are beaten down just by the circumstances of life. Lord, we are reminded that you are there and that you care. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts by your word, that you would remind us of your very presence. Holy Father, show us your adopting love, even in Jesus Christ the Son, by the power of your Spirit, for we want to hear from your word. So come and meet us today. Meet us by your word, even as we consider it now, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's crazy to think that we're in this Advent season getting ready for Christmas. I, like you probably, am generally expecting it to be a lot colder and there to be a lot more snow by now. And so I'm very, very grateful to God for an easy start to the winter so far. It, it, it's, as I get older, I'm more thankful for easy weather. But this Christmas time... This Advent season, or the creation of these feast days and this calendar time, it's been marked off since the days of the medieval church. It began in earnest in the 4th century. The apostolic church didn't really celebrate Advent season or anything like that. They, they reverenced the Lord's Day, Sunday, the first day of the week. And they celebrate you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But even the Reformers, they conceded that there could be key dates that recognize the history of salvation. So it was worthwhile to recognize, for example, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, the Ascension of Christ, and Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on the church. So we can think about this season of Advent as a time to reflect, I think, on even to reflect with anticipation of our Lord's second advent, even as was articulated in Gavin's leading and as in the elders praying, thinking about the return of Christ, his second advent, even as we're thinking now in this re remembrance of his first advent. But Jesus is coming back again. He's alive right now, and he's coming again, returning to judge the living and the dead. 
based upon, now we remember the first advent. You know, this was long anticipated by Israel as they looked forward for the coming of the Messiah. And that became then this supernatural fulfillment of those prophecies. All of those prophecies that established the very foundation of our salvation. Namely, the incarnation of the Son. The One who is the eternal God who assumed human nature. And if you don't confess that Jesus is God, then you are not a Christian. Just to be clear on that. In case anybody was confused. Now, you, I, I just know, one of the things that pastors always know at Christmas time, and you may know this too, is for some reason, maybe it's because of the remembrance of family, or reflection on your past, or whatever it is, because there's something about Christmas time that can be extremely difficult for people. And so you might be here even this morning already, and you're, you've come through many crises, and you've got cares, you've got sorrows. Maybe you're struggling with a host of things on your mind. And, and in this moment, even this morning, you may be coming here craving some type of simple fix to, your, to, to all of your problems. You just want a, a simple solution. And, and what you really need, though, and what we are going to find out this morning, what you really need and what I need, what you really need is to return to God. You, you need to return to God. That's what you need to do. You need to give yourself to God, to, to see God with the eyes of faith, to return to Him, to be resolute in relying upon God. It sounds simple, but actually when you think of all your cares and your concerns, chances are you haven't really been looking to God. And what you will find when you return to God, you will find, you will discover even, that God is not the God of the dead, but He is the God of the living. He is that God. And so the question is, are you alive today? I see you breathing there, right? That was supposed to almost elicit a joke, but I mean, I guess it's not that funny. I'm glad you're breathing. Barely. If you are alive, God is over you right now. Like, He is over you. You are alive, He is over you. You know, Descartes, the, the philosopher, he's the one who said, I think, therefore I am. Well, it's, it's not sufficient. But rather, God thinks, therefore I am. God thinks, therefore I am. That's why you're here. Because God is there. That is the reason. So as I, I'm going to bring my Mark series to a, to a pause during the Advent season, but I'm going to finish off with these two, two last transitional sermons in Mark 12. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, we're going to be reminded that God is the God of the living. And that was true in Jesus' ministry. It was true at Jesus' birth. It's true 
at Jesus' conception. And it was true in the beginning when the Word was God. God lives. And that reality then compels your attention. Each one of you, each soul here, your your attention is compelled to the fact that God lives. But we're going to see in this passage, this somewhat strange passage, how there are some very clever people who suppress the truth of that reality. They suppress the truth that can be known about God. These are the cynical skeptics, what we might call today the nuns. Uh, not, not Roman Catholic nuns, N-U-N, but the N-O-N-E's, those who have no, no real religious affiliation. We're going to see the irony of that here. We're going to look at these skeptics. Then we're going to look at the Scriptures and the power of God, how that must be known. And then finally, we'll see the weight of this reality that God is, in fact, the God of the living. He's the God of the living. And so that my hope is you'll be compelled by all of this. Now, when we begin in verse 18, we begin with the skeptics. The skeptics. Now, now you can't talk about spirituality today without the skeptics showing up, right? They, always, they are always showing up. And in this case, the skeptics were Jews. They were Jews, that which it doesn't seem to make sense. These skeptics were in a religious position, but they didn't believe in their religion. They were the high priestly caste of Israel. They were part of this, this elevated class, and they were called the high priests, but in actual fact, they had just become politicians. Secular, cynical politicians. And I'm going to restrain myself and not comment on secular, cynical politicians. Because I could say many, many things. I don't think I need to spell that out for you. But that's, that's who these guys were. They didn't believe in the resurrection, as you see in verse 18. They did not believe in it. So, these are men who had lost their God, and yet they kept their job. They, they had lost their piety, and yet they still kept their paycheck. That's who these guys were, and they were called the Sadducees. Now, skeptics are always unoriginal It's always the same speculative questions, always the whataboutism. W.B. Yeats described this type. He said, the best of them lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And that's, that's certainly how these skeptics are. I've met many folks over the years, just like these Sadducees, They have some religious experience. They know some religious instruction. But they refuse to believe the gospel. So many people like that. And then it's those people, they always want to come to the pastor with the stumper question. The difficult question. You know, just like we saw last time that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they wanted to trap Jesus. Well, now the Sadducees... 
They actually want to show off to Jesus. They want to show off how much they know. Now, it's been said that if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Well, the Sadducees, they kept propagating this lie that there was no resurrection. They kept on repeating it. And in this case, then they came up with their stumper question. It was a question about what's called Leverite marriage. And that's the Jewish practice of a brother marrying his brother's widow in order to raise up the biological inheritance of his brother's line. So, I mean, it's a little bit obscure, really. Uh, It's spelled out in Deuteronomy 25, if you want to kind of go into the details of that. It's obscure. It was particular to Israel's Old Covenant genealogies. Now, the Sadducees didn't really care about any of that. They extended their scenario, you know, to kind of this logical absurdity. So, so they said, well, okay, let's, let's play this out over seven different marriages here. Marriages to the same woman, but let's extrapolate this in this over-the-top convoluted scenario. And that's kind of what skeptics always want to do. Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And why do I know that they didn't really care? Well, because they said in verse 23, in the resurrection when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in that. So they're talking about the resurrection. They're talking about something they don't believe in. All they want to do is to make Jesus look stupid. Now, you and I sometimes, when we meet folks like this, we get scared. We get a little bit insecure because they're hitting us with these seeming kind of stumper questions. And we, we think, oh, well, you know, I, I've got to try, to try to kind of compromise in order to make these guys happy with me. When in actual fact, all they're trying to do is to make you look stupid. This kind of skepticism is just simply wrong. It's wrong. It's not, oh, I believe, help my unbelief. But it's more of, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's more like that. What Paul said of the Gentiles applies to these Jews. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart, Ephesians 4.18. So you might be sitting there, and, I, and, and you're kind of going through this. Somebody's brought you, or you've showed up. You're sitting there with your reasons for not believing in the living God. Maybe you're a young person. Maybe you're a not-so-young person. You're thinking of these reasons for not believing in Him. And yet, the problem, the problem is not that Christianity has bad public relations. That's not the problem. The problem is not, oh, I haven't received enough evidence. The problem is that you're wrong. You're just wrong. You're straight up wrong. You are wrong, and it is hard to admit that. If you're a Christian believer here, you have had to come to see that you have been wrong. 
You've been wrong about everything. And you had to have the truth of God come to you and that truth show you that you are wrong and then show you what is right. But there are people here, you're still living a lie and believing a lie and I'm telling you, you're wrong. Nobody's going to tell you you're wrong because you're not supposed to tell anybody they're wrong today, right? You're not allowed to, right? You're not allowed to say you're wrong. You know, every opinion is valid. No, no, they're not. There's right ones and there's wrong ones. We don't like being wrong. And if you're here and you're one of the nuns, these no religion ones, or you're just like, no, I'm just going to keep this at arm's length, and you're out here. I, well, I see you here. I know who, I know who you are. Then I, and I'm telling you, if that's the case, you are wrong. And how can I say that? It's just my opinion. I can say it because Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? You're wrong, buddy. You're wrong. The nuns are wrong. And in the first century, it was the Sadducees who were wrong. And then Jesus was going to give the reasons why, which brings me to my second point. You see there, he says in verse 24, Jesus says, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. It's ironic. These are Jews. They're the people of the book, right? People of the book. They they should know better. These Jews did not know the Bible. They didn't know the Bible. These Jews didn't know the power of God. It's an amazing thing that they could be Jews and not know these things. In other words, they lived in ignorance of real authority. The authority of the Word of God. They they lived in ignorance of that. And they lived in ignorance of real power. They lived completely in ignorance of that. Now, it's interesting today, just thinking about churches and churches around. I think it's only the charismatic churches that talk about the power of God. Nobody else really talks about the power of God. Now, I don't, I don't agree with much of what the charismatic churches teach and say. But their emphasis on believing in the power of God, I think, is something we all need to get a hold of. That God has power. He has power. And you know why also I know that we don't, we're not believing in the power of God? Because we are totally given over to the power of politics. I don't care what you believe about the politics. It's that you trust in the power of the politics. If we can just get, get the right guys in, that's where the power is to change things, right? And I want change too. But I get completely hoodwinked by the power of politics. It's a paltry power. It's a weak power. It's relatively powerless. What happens after every time you say, oh no, this election, this is the most important one. 
This is the, and that's what they tell you, right? Oh, it's, this is the most important one. And you get your guy in, and what changes? Not that much, right? If you think, if you think there's big change in politics, you talk to me afterwards. I, I can cite examples. There's that much changes because there's no power there. We're captivated by the power of politics. I think we're, we're given over to the authority of the algorithm. That's what we think has all the authority in our lives is the algorithm. Whatever the internet is saying, whatever it's telling us we have to believe, whatever it's telling us we have to focus on, without the Scriptures, there is no prophecy. And without prophecy, you don't have the miracle of the virgin conception. It's left uninterpreted. It's emptied of all meaning. And without the power of God, the virgin does not conceive. Right? Okay, not going to go into bio class here. Right. I'd get myself in trouble. Human bodies don't come into being ex nihilo, out of nothing. It doesn't happen. Only if there is the power of God. And so at this Advent season is a reminder of the advent of extraordinary power exercised by God. Power. Think of it. DJ in his prayer, I, I noted it when he prayed, how we're marking even time. It's 2023, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus is still alive. And so the power of God comes to alter human civilization, to, to alter every calendar, to challenge every religion, to challenge every soul. And we, we see, if you're like me, I see the changes in our society, the bad changes. I'm fearful of these things. And we start to think, we don't admit it, but it's going on in our mind, we think that God is somehow powerless. Oh, well, it's all doom and gloom. We just got to resign ourselves to the doom and gloom. It's the end of our society. Is God now powerless? Cannot God act? Couldn't He change things in a moment? Turn it on a dime? But in fact, every terror of our world is the just consequence of men forgetting God and forgetting God's power manifest on the earth. In 1983, the Templeton Prize lecture was given by the Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And he was recounting a question that was posed repeatedly through Russia's history, particularly through the 20th century. It was the same question he would hear from old people when he was a young man. And it was a question which men then asked after the rise to power of the Soviet Marxist-Leninists. And it was a question that was even asked at the end of the 20th century when, when Solzhenitsyn gave this lecture. So three times he posed the question. And the question was this. Why? Why? Did all of this calamity come upon us? Why? 
And he said this, Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Men have forgotten God. You're scouring to find reasons for why things are the way they are. The answer is very, very simple. Men have forgotten God. They don't know the Scriptures, and they don't know the power of God. They might be religiously close to such things. We can think of many churches that way. And yet they've forgotten forgotten God himself. We dare not forget God. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, well I know this stuff. You're sitting there, you know these things. And yet, I know because of your fears and your anxieties and all your cares and concerns, you are tempted to forget God. But at the heart of why we were here is the biblical message of the gospel being the power of God for salvation. As Paul said in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's no barrier. It's to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, uncovered, from faith, for faith. And then he says, as it is written. He knew the Scriptures. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Quoting from the prophet Habakkuk. Scripture and power, they are unknown to the nuns. They are unknown to the Sadducees in this case. But there's authority and capability beyond anything they can ever know. Authority and power that is revealed by God. And that is, friends, that's simple, and you might think you know this, but I can guarantee if you're like me, you don't really live like that. You don't live with this sense of the clarity of knowing the authority and the power of God. If you did, you would live differently. And that's what we want to aspire to, is to live differently, which means we have to stop forgetting God. Now, in this instance, Jesus pointed out the details to answer the question that was put to him. So he's going to go into the details. He said in verse 25 that they do rise from the dead. There is a resurrection from the dead. Now, there is this human institution of marriage, obviously, but it becomes surpassed in heaven. We become, he says, like angels in heaven. Not because we become androgynous or something. We'll be resurrected male and female. Where there's a bodily resurrection. We retain our sex. But you know why we're like angels? It's because... We're going to be forever orbiting the sun. That's what, that's what we're concerned with. Hark the herald angels sing. You know, we are thinking about even angels even as, our, as we are singing. We're like them. We're, we're in a sense sun worshippers. Not that sun, but the risen 
sun. We're, we're always kind of, as it were, this, doing this sunbathing, looking at the radiance of Christ. And he's, we're just basking in the radiance of His glory from the Father by the Spirit as we gaze upon the sun. So, marriage then is momentary. That's titled to John Piper. He said in his book of the same name, quote, he said, very soon the shadow will give way to reality. The partial will pass into the perfect. The foretaste will lead to the banquet. The troubled path will end in paradise. A hundred candlelit evenings will come to their consummation in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this momentary marriage will be swallowed up by life. Christ will be all in all. And the purpose of marriage will be complete. End of quote. Some of the wives here are hoping for maybe just one or two candlelit evenings maybe there. Maybe not a a hundred. You see, it's momentary though. You start seeing the higher purpose. And that's the question then. In given all of this, even marriage is precious and distinct, important as it is. It gets swallowed up by life. How do you know this life? Well, you know it because you know the Scriptures and the power of God. And so that, that's, that's the question this morning. Are, are, you, are you captivated by the illuminating vision of the Scriptures? I mean, you might hear thinking, oh, I'm at the right church. I've got the right Bible on my shelf. But I'm, I'm asking, are you captivated by the illumination of the Holy Scriptures? Is that compelling you? And are you captivated and compelled by the dimension-bending power of God? We've got a society awash in looking at fantasy. Movies about fantasy. All of these fantasies about dimensions and various realms. And God comes and He says, I can do all. I can raise the dead. Are you compelled by that power? Or is it like, oh yeah, yeah, a resurrection, yep, check the box. Although it's Christmas time, I'm not really thinking about Easter. No, every day is Easter Sunday in a certain sense. So as we consider the power of God to resurrect, the, the question is, are you believing personally in the Scriptures and the power of God? The law of the Lord, as Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you need your soul to be revived? Then you're going to look to the Scriptures and the power of God. But verses 26 and 27, as we think at Christmas time of this prophecy of the Christ child, well, it comes after a, a long line of prophecy connected with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, verse 26. God is the God of these patriarchs. He is the God, even as He had spoken to them. He's their God, and, and they exist alive in the Spirit, waiting for the resurrection from the dead. I mean, I don't know 
if time is experienced as waiting for those who are absent from the body but w- present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. I don't know if you, you, I don't know if there's an experience waiting. It might all be compressed in that glorious realm. But Jesus commends the Bible. Jesus believed in the Bible, and he commends the Bible. He says in the book of Moses, he refers to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3 and verse 3, you remember the story about Moses. Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, would the Sadducees believe in that? They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in burning bushes. But Jesus uses that passage to say that God is still their God currently. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this this God is not not just religious projection, like your University of Calgary or Mount Royal professor is going to say. It's just religious projection, man's thoughts projected and saying what God is like. This is not a a psychological tool to cope with death. God isn't a crutch to help you escape from negative thoughts about death. God is the God of the living. Those alive on earth and those alive after death. Those who are alive to Him, note this, alive to Him and with Him in His accepted presence, and those who are also alive to his justice, under his wrath, where it says, Jesus said in Mark 9, verse 38, where the worm does not die. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said there would be the announcement that the tombs would be opened. Just turn there, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Just thinking about, is he the God of the living? John chapter 5, he says in verse 28. Actually, I think people need to hear this. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear. So they're dead, but they will hear. There's a consciousness of the dead, this spiritual hearing. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. He's the God of the living. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Note this, verse 28. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. He is the God of the living. There is life after death, and then there's a judgment. As the writer to the Hebrews says in 9.27, it is appointed a man once to die, and then comes judgment. And if there is a judgment after you die, then there is a sense in which you will live after you die to be judged. And in that judgment, you will either stand and walk with Jesus Christ in confidence, enjoying His comfort, rejoicing with Christ in joy, you will either have that, you'll have no shame on your head, you'll have no guilt, no fear, or you will not stand in the judgment. You will search in vain for credentials and righteousness and good deeds and many atonements and all kinds of arguments and justifications, and you'll be grabbing for all of this stuff, but you will not stand before the living purity and the powerful majesty of the just and holy God. You won't stand. Verse 27, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong, Jesus said. So God is the God of the living. And this is also the reason that God gives eternal life. Why? Because He is the God of the living. It is also why He casts into eternal fire. Because He's the God of the living. You recall Jesus said in Matthew 18, 8, He said, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. How can the fire be eternal for you? Because God is the God of the living. And He lives maintaining His justice for as long as He lives, which is forever. This is the case then. On the one hand, this is a very obscure passage, the Levite marriage and the weird questions from the Sadducees. On, an, on the other hand, whether or not God is God and whether or not He is the God of the living or not is the most important thing you can consider at this moment. And so as I bring it to a close... Consider this. The Sadducees or the nuns or the secularists or whoever it is or whatever, whatever you're claiming, they don't believe the Scriptures like Jesus does. They don't believe in the power of God like Jesus does. They don't believe in the resurrection. They assure us that God is dead or that God is God over nothing. But to these to these clever people, and you might be one of them here today, 
You're one of these clever people. You're more clever than everybody else. Then you might be, you might be thinking this way. I, I've just got a question. I, I, I found this question. It's posed by a, a philosopher. And it's the question, this is the question. He says, how well do you know in what ways you are most susceptible to being deceived? How well do you know in what ways you are most susceptible to being deceived? You see the clever man here, the Sadducee, the nun. You think you're smart, and yet you're so deceived as to be lost. And there's a threat even if you're a churchgoer, you think you're a Christian, maybe you've been living like a practical atheist, if not a practicing one. You haven't actually remembered God at all. And you know what Jesus says to you? He says you're wrong. You're wrong. Your life is wrong. You're living wrong. But Jesus, of course, gave an answer. He doesn't leave us in the wrongness of our position, thankfully. Because he says, all you need to do is you need to know the Holy Scriptures and the power of God. And you find out that God is, in fact, the God of the living. He is that God. And we know this because of the Bible. The Bible tells us this. And we we know this because of the resurrection power of God. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The incarnate one, risen from the dead on the third day. And so in view of that, you can turn as we close to Romans chapter 8. Very familiar passage. But it kind of ties this all together as we see Paul's reflection on these very same truths. Paul said then, In verse 34, he said, who is, <clears throat> who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed interceding for us. Is he alive or is he dead? Congregation. Somebody says he's alive. He's alive. Is he just sitting on his hands? He's interceding for us. He's active. And he's interceding for us. We're alive and he's actively interceding for us. Then then Paul says, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The living Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as written for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Is he, is he the God of the dead? No, he's the God of the living. No, in all these things that would bring our death, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that Neither death. Oh no, I thought he was just the God of the dead. No, he's the God of the living. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, 
depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he is the God, not of the dead, but of the living. Friends, you need to return to God. You've been forgetting God, and you need to return to him. Even maybe come to him for the very first time. And you need to do that today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that you would grant us even the living hope in Jesus Christ, the the risen one, that we would not continue to live wrong. Oh Lord, make us right in your eyes. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we worship together. In contrast to the failures of the Sadducees as high priests, if you are a Christian believer, you can confess this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is the God of the living. And if you don't know Him, then why not? Come to Him even today. Look to this Christ. Believe on Him that He would be your high priest, that you would be saved. Go in peace. You're dismissed.